Section 139 of Complete Original Short Stories of Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio. Section 139. Lasting Love. It was the end of the dinner that opened the shooting season. The Marquis de Bertrand, with his guests, sat around a brightly lighted table, covered with fruit and flowers. The conversation drifted to love. Immediately there arose an animated discussion, the same eternal discussion as to whether it were possible to love more than once. Examples were given of persons who had loved once. These were offset by those who had loved violently many times. The men agreed that passion, like sickness, may attack the same person several times, unless it strikes to kill. This conclusion seemed quite incontestable. The women, however, who based their opinion on poetry rather than on practical observation, maintained that love, the great passion, may come once only to mortals. It resembles lightning, they said, this love. A heart once touched by it becomes forever such a waste, so ruined, so consumed, that no other strong sentiment can take root here, not even a dream. The Marquis, who had indulged in many love affairs, disputed this belief. I tell you it is possible to love several times with all one's heart and soul. You quote examples of persons who have killed themselves for love, to prove the impossibility of a second passion. I wager that if they had not foolishly committed suicide, and so destroyed the possibility of a second experience, they would have found a new love, and still another, and so on, till death. It is with love as with drink. He who has once indulged is forever a slave. It is a thing of temperament. They chose the old doctor as umpire. He thought it was, as the Marquis had said, a thing of temperament. As for me, he said, I knew once of a love which lasted fifty-five years without one day's respite, and which ended only with death. The wife of the Marquis clasped her hands. That is beautiful. Ah, what a dream to be loved in such a way. What bliss to live for fifty-five years enveloped in an intense, unwavering affection. How this happy being must have blessed his life to be so adored. The doctor smiled. You are not mistaken, madame. On this point, the loved one was a man. You even knew him. It was Monsieur Chouquet, the chemist. As to the women, you also know her, the old chairmender who came every year to the chateau. The enthusiasm of the women fell. Some expressed their contempt with pouh, for the loves of common people did not interest them. The doctor continued. Three months ago, I was called to the deathbed of the old chairmender. The priest had preceded me. She wished to make us the executors of her will. In order that we might understand her conduct, she told us the story of her life. It is most singular and touching. Her father and mother were both chairmenders. She had never lived in a house. As a little child, she wandered about with them, dirty, unkempt, hungry. They visited many towns, leaving their horse, wagon, and dog just outside the limits, where the child played in the grass alone until her parents had repaired all the broken chairs in the place. They seldom spoke, except to cry, Chairs! Chairs! Chairmender! When the little one strayed too far away, she would be called back by the harsh, angry voice of her father. She never heard a word of affection. When she grew older, she fetched and carried the broken chairs. Then it was she made friends with the children in the street, but their parents always called them away and scolded them for speaking to the barefooted child. Often the boys threw stones at her. Once a kind woman gave her a few pennies. She saved them most carefully. One day, she was then eleven years old, as she was walking through a country town, she met behind the cemetery little Chouquet, weeping bitterly because one of his playmates had stolen two precious mills. The tears of the small bourgeois, one of those much-envied mortals, who, she imagined, never knew trouble, completely upset her. She approached him, and as soon as she learned the cause of his grief, she put into his hands all her savings. He took them without hesitation and dried his eyes. Wild with joy, she kissed him. He was busy counting his money and did not object. Seeing that she was not repulsed, she threw her arms round him and gave him a hug. Then he ran away. What was going on in her poor little head? Was it because she had sacrificed all her fortune that she became madly fond of this youngster, 
Or was it because she had given him the first tender kiss? The mystery is alike for children and for those of riper years. For months she dreamed of that corner near the cemetery and of the little chap. She stole a sou here and there from her parents on the chair money or the groceries she was sent to buy. When she returned to the spot near the cemetery, she had two francs in her pocket, but he was not there. Passing his father's drugstore, she caught sight of him behind the counter. He was sitting between a large red globe and a blue one. She only loved him the more, quite carried away at the sight of the brilliant colored globes. She cherished the recollection of it forever in her heart. The following year, she met him near the school playing marbles. She rushed up to him, threw her arms around him, and kissed him so passionately that he screamed in fear. To quiet him, she gave him all her money. Three francs and twenty centimes, a real gold mine, at which she gazed with staring eyes. After this, he allowed her to kiss him as much as she wished. During the next four years, she put into his hands all her savings, which he pocketed conscientiously in exchange for kisses. At one time it was thirty sous, at another two francs. Again, she only had twelve sous. She wept with grief and shame, explaining brokenly that it had been a poor year. The next time she brought five francs in one whole piece, which made her laugh with joy. She no longer thought of anyone but the boy, and he watched for her with impatience. Sometimes he would run to meet her. This made her heart thump with joy. Suddenly he disappeared. He had gone to boarding school. She found this out by careful investigation. Then she used great diplomacy to persuade her parents to change their route and pass by this way again during vacation. After a year of scheming, she succeeded. She had not seen him for two years and scarcely recognized him. He was so changed. He had grown taller, better looking, and was imposing in his uniform with its brass buttons. He pretended not to see her and passed by without a glance. She wept for two days and from that time loved and suffered unceasingly. Every year he came home and she passed him, not daring to lift her eyes. He never condescended to turn his head toward her. She loved him madly, hopelessly. She said to me, "'He is the only man whom I have ever seen. I don't even know if another exists.' Her parents died. She continued their work. One day, on entering the village where her heart always remained, she saw Chouquet coming out of his pharmacy with a young lady leaning on his arm. She was his wife. That night the chairmender threw herself into the river. A drunkard passing the spot pulled her out and took her to the drugstore. Young Chouquet came down in his dressing gown to revive her. Without seeming to know who she was, he undressed her and rubbed her. Then he said to her, in a harsh voice, "'You are mad. People must not do stupid things like that.' His voice brought her to life again. He had spoken to her. She was happy for a long time. He refused remuneration for his trouble, although she insisted. All her life passed in this way. She worked, thinking always of him. She began to buy medicines at his pharmacy. This gave her a chance to talk to him and to see him closely. In this way, she was still able to give him money. As I said before, she died this spring. When she had closed her pathetic story, she entreated me to take her earnings to the man she loved. She had worked only that she might leave him something to remind him of her after her death. I gave the priest fifty francs for her funeral expenses. The next morning I went to see the Chouquets. They were finishing breakfast, sitting opposite each other, fat and red, important and self-satisfied. They welcomed me and offered me some coffee, which I accepted. Then I began my story in a trembling voice, sure that they would be softened even to tears. As soon as Chouquet understood that he had been loved by that vagabond, that chairmender, that wanderer, he swore with indignation as though his reputation had been sullied, the respect of decent people lost, his personal honor, something precious and dearer to him than life, gone. His exasperated wife kept repeating, That beggar, that beggar. Seeming unable to find words suitable to the enormity, he stood up and began striding about. He muttered, Can you understand anything so horrible, doctor? Oh, if I had only known it while she was alive, I should have had her thrown into prison. I promise you, she would not have escaped. I was dumbfounded. I hardly knew what to think or say, but I had to finish my mission. 
She commissioned me, I said, to give you her savings, which amount to three thousand five hundred francs. As what I have just told you seems to be very disagreeable, perhaps you would prefer me giving this money to the poor. They looked at me, that man and that woman, speechless with amazement. I took the few thousand francs from out of my pocket, wretched-looking money from every country, pennies and gold pieces all mixed together. Then I asked, What is your decision? Madame Chouquet spoke first. Well, since it is the dying woman's wish, it seems to be impossible to refuse it. Her husband said, in a shame-faced manner, We could buy something for our children with it. I answered dryly, As you wish. He replied, Well, give it to us anyhow, since she commissioned you to do so, we will find a way to put it to some good use. I gave them the money, bowed, and left. The next day Chouquet came to me and said brusquely, That woman left her wagon here. What have you done with it? Nothing. Take it if you wish. It's just what I wanted, he added, and walked off. I called him back and said, she also left her old horse and two dogs. Don't you need them? He stared at me, surprised. Well, no, really, what would I do with them? Dispose of them as you like. He laughed and held out his hand to me. I shook it. What could I do? The doctor and the druggist in a country village must not be at enmity. I have kept the dogs. The priest took the old horse. The wagon is useful to Chouquet, and with the money he has bought railroad stock. That is the only deep, sincere love that I have ever known in all my life. The doctor looked up. The Marquise, whose eyes were full of tears, sighed and said, There is no denying the fact only women know how to love. End of section 139. Recording by Tatiana Chichilla, Columbus, Ohio.